You don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. And I'm Rochelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. And I got a bone to pick this week. Ooh, tell me. But I'm going to pick that bone after I tell everyone to subscribe to the podcast on their preferred platform so they can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Also, don't forget, if you are a listener, go ahead and join the Facebook group. It is private, but as long as you answer the welcome questions, then you'll probably be allowed to join and join the conversation. Uh, We also like to welcome our listeners from all different countries all around the world, as well as the United States. So thank you so much to everyone for listening and everyone for joining the Facebook group uh, that's joined so far. We appreciate you listening and getting us to episode 37. Are we really? Episode 37. We've been doing this for almost a year now. Oh, yeah. We're about to have an anniversary. Yeah. Somewhere in June, right? Something like that. Yeah, you're right. So we're getting there. So that means I guess we'll be doing... Somewhere around 40 episodes a year if we keep doing this f- for a while. I mean, that's not bad out of 52 weeks. Yeah. Cool. Um, Raising a kid. Yeah, not bad. Keeping ourselves alive. Keeping ourselves alive. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. Um, so the bone I have to pick. Tell me. It's, um, I so I share the show on social media, mostly just Facebook and you know, Instagram and, and whatnot. I need to figure out is it, if anyone's a social media whiz out there listening, um, send me a private message. I would love to get your thoughts on how to expand the show to get it out to more people. Um, really, the, the, the way that most people find the show is by searching for autism and related topics on Spotify. And I can't rely on everyone to know to look for the show. I need the show to find them. Right. So, having said that, I shared episode 36, what exactly is RSD, which is rejection sensitivity dysphoria, and it's available now for download. (laughs) Um, So, this is what happened. So, I posted the, I I posted this on one of my autism groups. Okay. And an unnamed person said, I'm very interested in the topic of RSD, but at eight minutes in, you were still chit-chatting, and it was making me so irritated (laughs) that I turned it off. Oh, I can totally relate, though. Now, if Rochelle had read this, I'm sure that her first thought would be, well, you can't please everyone, but I'm like, fuck that. So I, as politely as I could, I wanted to to just, like, destroy this person, but I didn't. Um, I said, thank you for your feedback. Every episode is different. We record these while our son, who is also autistic, sleeps. Sometimes it takes a minute for us to get to the meat of the episode, like I'm doing right now. (laughs) Um, No, that that part I didn't add. In this particular episode, we talk in depth about RSD. Give it another listen. The title of each episode is the main through line, but not all we talk about. And now my phone is freezing. Well said, by the way. Ah, then she replies. Sorry. They reply. Right. Thank you. Maybe you could make a note at what time you get to the point (laughs) so people could fast forward through the small talk. Just an idea. Okay. And I said, it's the 36th episode. You want us to do this every time? We'll do it just for you. Go back and read the description again. Made a little note. So I went back. And this is what it says. It says, and we're back. Episode 36, what exactly is RSD, rejection sensitivity dysphoria, is available now. In parenthesis, I put, note for the uninitiated, sometimes there's a little small talk. <laughs> so true. If not, if not a lot of the time, there's a little small talk. And here's the thing. If you don't like us, it's going to be really hard to listen to an hour, no matter how interested in you are, you, how interested you are in the subject at hand. Right? Right. So I almost feel like this episode should just be called You Can't Please Everyone. I mean, it's a very accurate topic in life. But um, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's uh, a great top. Well, so title. the truth of the matter is we don't script this is a good way to put it. We go through our week. 
we analyze the themes of living our lives right of what we're experiencing and um we're always using our personal lives as kind of the platform for the topics that we talk about one because we have some practical experience in what we've just gone through and then we can also provide a really relatable you know aspect to this we could go i mean you and i can totally nerd out and take any topic and you know three page outline it with you know multiple reference points like we can go to town and do an educational type podcast but we're we're working to illuminate neurodiversity in a way that is relatable to real life and so Sometimes that requires... Sorry that I'm not a fucking robot. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, we're going to come on here t- and be I know like, you took it really... Welcome back to You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. I'm Michelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. And here's the topic that we have. Like, it's not... That's not the way it works. Like, no, this isn't... Our job is to uncover these aspects of neurodiversity in everyday life and, and help everyone do the same. And so, it's okay. It's just... Um, if you're just tuning in to this as your first episode, your first time listening to our episodes, then none of the small talk will have any value to anyone. I mean, the point she made is is valid. Honestly, it's just, you know, this is a show you got to binge. <laughs> yes, I think it is. But but none of the small talk has value because she's not invested in any of the previous like relatable why it's why our lives matter. It doesn't to her because she's coming in for the topic. So, you know. She she makes a good point. Um, we it's easy to take personal because you're I like, respectfully disagree. All right, fair point. But well, here's the thing that's kind of funny, right? So I'm posting an episode about RSD, and this motherfucker oh, and she rejects, rejects me. You. Yeah, I noticed that. What about maybe this should be the RSD episode, huh? What do you think about that? But that's unnamed what, but person. So that's a really interesting thing you mentioned because I know how rejection sensitive you are, and yet. I knew when we were, um, it, I, I, it's not, how do I say this? It's almost eight minutes, Rochelle. We're doing mm. too much small talk. Oh, it really is. It's, I don't know whether it's because you're hypersensitive to receiving rejection. So you spend a lot of time thinking about rejection because you've been rejected, but you're also very good at rejecting. I reject that. No. Well, you resemble that. No, I don't. But no, you're very, you're actually very good at rejecting, um, things that you don't like or people or situations or whatever. So, I mean, unfortunately, uh, it's a little bit magnetic. You know, if you spend a lot of time thinking about it because you're sensitive to it or you're upset about it, you're also going to, that same, your brain isn't going to know the difference between necessarily that you're upset about it or that you're trying to learn it. And so inadvertently, the more time you spend getting upset about being rejected or thinking about the fact that you've been rejected or even replaying this exchange you're inadvertently training your brain to react to other people by rejecting them right so it's a little bit of a catch because you end up treating other people that way which then just makes it easier for them to treat you that way now i'll say that in a bubble because in this moment when you you read that exchange i do not think that you returned the rejection i thought you handled that very well that's right i showed her who was the bigger person? <laughs> Those Me. Are, but but the feeling of rejection is a really... I'm the bigger person. Sorry. <laughs> the feeling of rejection is a big feeling. Like, it's big. It's almost like, oh, God, I've made a mistake, and then what do I do with it? And um, how well do you handle your self-dialogue when you feel like you've made a mistake? Do you have tools for oh, that? Oh, my, my immediate thought is, you're a fucking idiot. But it depends on the situation. I, I, I thought that what she said, I was like, listen. It's like, you didn't even... Li- listen to it we get right. to it it right. takes a minute i'm sorry not perfect well i mean that i think the biggest thing she might not have really absorbed in the intro is that you have adhd and autism and rejection sensitivity is typical of adhd not necessarily autism and so when you combine the two you know there's a different oh god are you gonna sneeze you better cl- cover your cover <coughs> oh my goodness that's gonna be in the episode Cover your ears, folks. Well, I should have said that first. Okay, I'm okay. That's those bunions you gave me. Yeah, nothing fun about that. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know so what I, just, I was saying. Uh, I, I don't either. I just want to... Uh, I hope she's... Th- they... I'm not going to say... Yeah, I hope they're still listening. I actually hope she did give us a chance because... They. 
Okay. We don't know. I don't. I hope that she may not be the only person that had that feeling. It's a valid feeling she had, and and, and and I think why it was, voice it? I would never like if I. It, it's funny to me because like if I went to watch a movie, and you know it was called like Big Titties, and there weren't big titties in the first eight minutes, I wouldn't leave the movie and be like. No titties, I'm out of here. Right. But, I would wait. <laughs> but it's a mental health podcast, you know? And honestly, there's so many podcasts out there these days. Some of them are are definitely more, I don't want to say documentary style, but they're they're more, you know, academic. That's and, not, but here's the thing. If you, there's so many different flavors of, of podcasts, and that's the thing. Um, you can't please everyone. This show won't be for everybody, regardless Agreed. of if you have been diagnosed or haven't been diagnosed. And, you know, we um, welcome people that are self-diagnosed Absolutely. and that have been professionally diagnosed and everything in between. Yep. And, uh, you know, because first of all, um, and, and I w- one of the things I wanted to get to is that you're not necessarily always going to be uh, in a financial place where... Cause you know, we've talked about this before. It is not cheap to, first of all, just to have regular therapy. Correct. If, especially if you have no insurance. Correct. And most people don't tend to have insurance unless it's provided, for, you know, through but their even work that, in some even fashion. If you, even if you pay for quality insurance, this evaluation is still not guaranteed to be covered. Oh, I know. And that's the thing that I was going to say is that, you know, there, I think pretty much every. Th- for the most part, I, I want to say every therapist that I've seen or the therapist that I do see don't take insurance and they send you what's called a super bill. Oh, yeah. They want you to get reimbursed And they on want you to send it to your insurance company. So even when I had insurance coverage, I would send that and they're like, yeah, we're not going to cover this. You have to go um, in network Yeah, to yeah. do that. And yep. I think everyone should be free to... That's, a, that's, that's hard because you don't want to be... F- you're in a way you're forced to um find someone in this confined space yep. where you're already probably uncomfortable like for me like i prefer female therapists correct um correct oh sorry i just thinking cuz yeah there okay. was a while, there was a time i was trying to find therapists for you so there was a list in my head of of what your preferences were so yes i'm sorry I mean, I, and, and i've had male therapists before and there was nothing wrong with them i just have found that i feel more comfortable with female therapists so now when i go to look um there's so uh, a really good resource for people if you are trying to find a therapist or if you are interested in getting um an official diagnosis or if you need, you know, if you feel like you not, might need medication or if you've been told by maybe um, like a regular therapist. When I say regular therapist, I mean not a psychiatrist. Right. You mean like a family counselor yeah. or someone like that? Someone yeah. that, you know, like for me, it was like finding out that I have ADHD through my regular therapist. Yeah, she's like a licensed counselor or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they refer you to a psychiatrist. Right. In order for you to, you know, and then they have to evaluate you. So there's all these evaluations and, yeah, and that process. process is so tedious. And so that was kind of the, that would be the meat of what I wanted to discuss for myself in this episode was, was the idea of, of the process of finding a therapist. I don't know if we've really done that yet. No, I don't think we have. So let me just back up real quick and, and wrap up the intro. So how did you, so obviously when you were receiving this exchange and kind of feeling rejected, how did you resolve that feeling of rejection other than just blaming her for like, how did Why, you what feel? What is with you in the word blame? I went back and made a snarky comment, and then I tweaked the title, and I felt better about myself. Okay. That's what I did. That's what I was wondering. Did, like, how I did said, you resolve peace? No, I just I just went back and was like, fine, here. Right. We we had there's small talk. It's 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 a it's a fucking talk show. Well, I mean, part of it is context, right? No, but I'm just saying, like, if you listen to, I'm not saying that we're Joe Rogan. I'm just saying, like, if you listen to something like Joe Rogan, like, there's a bunch of different topics. Right. And it's not like they necessarily just talk about one particular thing. They kind of bounce around. Those those are the kind of shows, like, when I listen to podcasts, you know, and I'm not trying to make this every, like, every other, uh, 
No, we're, we're just being ourselves. Mental health podcast. It just happens to be that we're talking about an aspect of mental health. Well, and here's the thing, right? Because when, when I read this and I watched how you responded and I thought, okay, you know, like you're keeping your cool, you're, you're grounded. It's like, but we're... Oh, you should have seen what I deleted. Oh, well, I bet. Um, but the thing about it is it's, we're approaching mental health awareness from the standpoint of actual experience, which means that there is mental health, like there's, there's neurodiversity within ourselves. And so you're, you know, asking for that sort of like scripted, super structured, um, talking point, you know, like copy for every single episode. We've tried that once or twice, like to really script something out. And we were horrible. Like it was not a great, we didn't, we didn't love those episodes because what happens They're is... They're the least listened to episodes. They are. We obviously... We have proof you don't love them either. But the reason why that they're, why they're not appealing is really super interesting. And it applies to this topic. So give me some runway here. But the reason why is because once we script it out, now we've created an expectation. So we're like... Oh, okay, You're, you're running out of runway. We got it. Give me a second. Okay. Then we said, okay, this is now the expectation of what we're going to talk to. And we've inadvertently put ourselves in fight or flight over meeting these expectations. We've taken ourselves out of our creativity. We've taken ourselves out of our database access. And we've literally like thrown ourselves right into the exact brain chemistry that is the worst for presenting a podcast. And so we have learned that it is best to stay present in the moment to use our daily lives as a format and a platform. And then from there, we can continue to expand on what we've researched that week or what's coming up for us and then how to help others illuminate the neurodiversity based on what they might be experiencing. And And so it really just comes down to does your format or does your strategy of anything put you in fight or flight? Does it make you more nervous? Does it... You know, make Are you asking me a question? No, I'm not. I'm oh. saying. Or does it give you more peace? And so for us, our structure that gives us more peace and creativity and keeps us out of fight or flight is this more relatable, but does, you know, does have small talk transitions. Yeah, it's a conversation. Thank you. That's why I always say join the conversation. Join the group. Join the conversation. Yeah. It's because that's what this is. It's a conversation between a neurotypical person and a neurodivergent person right um and the things and plus we have a kid who's also on the spectrum Mm -hmm. and so you have the you know you have your perspective on on Declan and mine and Mm -hmm. then there's me as the adult that's been late diagnosed right so there's two different generations pathways yeah generations of of people and so you know Declan's going to grow up knowing. Yep. And I, you know, that he is going to be regarded as different. But, but I mean, that's, but I mean, but I think that I was regarded as different too. I knew I was regarded as different. I just didn't have but anything to knew, attach. Nobody knew why. I never, I never really, well, it, it's, it's, it's like. You couldn't identify any part of what you're, of. The personality that was unique to you, like no one could identify it. They could just be like, oh, that doesn't really fit the norm. That was weird. We don't have strategies and tools for socially to handle that. So inadvertently, what everyone does when something is new is they reject it. I was talking. I know. And the man, I, the man I joined, is talking. Now, I Rochelle. joined the conversation. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, yeah, but you. OK. I have ADHD, dickhead. I can't. I. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about the multi-generational I approach. was talking about therapy, and then you started going back to the beginning. This is like a Quentin Tarantino-directed <laughs> episode. <laughs> I wasn't going back to the beginning. I was trying to wrap it up. I even said, let's wrap it up by tell me, okay. telling me your emotions. It is wrapped. Okay, so back to the therapy. Did you see the post I posted in the group about um, the company Path? P-A-T-H? No. So Can it we get is, to that? Well, it is a... They're, Headline is choose the best therapist. I guess covered, we got to it. Covered by your insurance. <laughs> so they've done some of the work to help you identify because these particular therapists that work for PATH have um, diverse Talk specialties. Into the microphone. Declan. Like, wow. <laughs> I'm, oh, wow. My chin is literally on the microphone and you're telling me to talk into it? She thinks I'm a three-year-old child. Okay. Thank you. I just... 
Yes, mom, go ahead. <sighs> Whatever. Choose from our 100 plus talk therapists. Talk into the microphone, dude. What do you think I'm doing? You're talking to the side. Okay. You got to talk directly into the middle. You read it. Choose the best therapist covered by your insurance. The end. That is not what I asked you to read. I was going to tell people about psychologytoday.com because I've had really good results using that site. Yes. But go ahead and tell them about the site that you use that uh, for the therapy that you get for your ADHD and autism. That's Rochelle. not what I'm talking about. It says choose from our 100 plus therapists with diverse specialties and backgrounds to help to get the help and treatment that you deserve. Because this takes Psychology Today one extra step and pre-sorts through neurodiverse training. Which you can do that on psychologytoday.com as well. I know, but you have to sort through it. They've already done it. Yeah, but do you, do you know anyone that's used this site? I do. Okay. Are they me? No. Well, then how am I supposed to... That's why I asked the question, did you see the post I posted? Yeah, of course, but you post a lot of stuff. I don't read everything. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> Can I, I'm, I'm serious. Okay, we'll talk about your thing in a minute. But I'm done. That's I'm all I wanted. Okay, because uh, you're killing me, Smalls. Um, what was I going to say? I had I had all these points and you keep talking. <laughs> now I can't think of anything to say. Uh, no, that's not true. So, yeah, I, I just... I've used psychologytoday.com. It doesn't mean you have to use it. It is it is just a it's a good resource you can go through. The re one of the things I was trying to get to is that you can sort by uh gender if you want. So if you do have a preference for a male or a female therapist, you can do that. Um you can search for different um clinical terms for the different types of diagnoses that you may have or that you think you might have or that you need to look into or anything like that. Um, and then they have general therapists. Therapists being uh, like family therapists or people that you would see like every week or like I do uh, every other week. Um, and then with, are you like pissed or something? Because you're all like cranky looking now. I'm patiently waiting. All right. And uh, then psychiatrists. So like for me, I have a regular therapist that I see and I've been looking to get a psychiatrist because I've been doing my medication management through a primary care physician. So after being coordinated by a psychiatrist. Yes. Yeah. So you just need. Yeah. Just, uh, I just have to uh, make just, that clear. Well, because I, I mean, it's hard and everyone's not, not everyone's going to be in my situation where I was in Colorado, then California and now Georgia, like not everyone moves around. Right. All the time. And as long as your medication is originally set by a psychiatrist and it works for you, it can be taken over by a GP. But then if you need alterations to that, you need to go back to the... That's my understanding. I... Yeah, yeah because like one of, the, one of the medications I was taking that I thought was very helpful for um, managing anxiety is one that's considered to be like addictive... Yeah, but you were doing better on that one. And so I would, I, but I was only taking, I mean, I haven't taken it in a year. And uh, anyway, so I found, um, I went through and I did all the filtering for, you know, like finding someone that could, you know, and it's, it's not easy when, if you have multiple Needs. diagnoses, Yeah. if you have, if you're autistic and you're ADHD, you got depression, anxiety, or whatever else, you know, you might have that you're personally dealing with listeners, um, you know, you can search for those things because maybe one is more dominant in your life than the other. Like for me right now, the the overall issue that I'm struggling with that's at the forefront of my brain is the depression aspect of it. Right. But I also need to manage the medications that I'm taking for ADHD. Anyway, so I decided to go back to the well and look for a new therapist and so I did that and it's always so frustrating because you have to start all over again mm. and you have to go through like a 75 minute consultation and it costs like four hundred dollars yeah money that not many people have I certainly don't um, but I need to it's it's what it's like it, it's it's not just my mental health it's my health in general and my well-being and my um my day-to-day -day ability to try and feel Function. like I'm and happy. Yeah. And uh, anyway, 
So I have that coming up um, in the next couple of weeks. Like it's so funny; these therapists are always so busy, right? And they they tend to not have a ton of time. They're like, "Oh, you can you know talk to me for free for ten minutes and see if we're a good fit." I'm like, "Is ten minutes really enough?" So I I'm not and I'm not great at asking questions. So one thing that I would um, and I I I try to write some things down, but I didn't. But if uh, if you do decide that you're going to see a therapist and you do something, I would definitely recommend if they find someone that will offer you a consultation of some kind so that you can just ask them a bunch, just bombard them with a bunch of questions to make sure that they're going to be a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. Because I, that they're like, she was like, Oh, what, what questions do you have? And I'm like, uh, and then I had to sit there and think of certain things. Cause I only wrote a few down. It's just like when I'm in a job interview, mm-hmm. they're like, do you have any questions for me? And I'm like, you answered all my questions. Shit. Now I got to think of something on the spot. And I'm like, yeah. Do you like your job? Which is actually not a bad question to ask Mm-mm. when you're getting interviewed. What'd um, you end up asking her? I have no idea. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> do not remember. Okay. So if you don't, do you remember her answers? Uh, I don't know. Why don't you tell me what I would have asked her and then I'll tell you. Well, I mean, but the details are, obviously a different part of the conversation how did you feel during the exchange of it do you remember how you felt i mean i felt like i do every time i have no idea if this person's going to be a good fit for me or not okay and you, i feel did like you get th- any I, need, f- I, I felt like i should no i didn't get any red flags because i i was just like i i had this medication i was taking before and i now can't take it and she's like, well, we can look into that. She's like, I'd be fine with prescribing it if it felt like blah, 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 blah. She wasn't outright like, no, like my my general, you know, is it a yeah. G- GP? Is yeah, GP. Yeah, they do because it's general neurochemistry, right? So they don't, I mean, GPs don't even, I, they don't even specialize in all the hormones. But I was like, given that. So one of, to your point earlier, you said like, oh, uh, if you're given a medication by a psychiatrist, then, uh, you know, someone else can manage it if they're an MD. Right. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't let me continue the medication. And then she put me on something else that I didn't like that wasn't out. So now I don't take anything for it. Oh, God. Well, that just shows her. Because I didn't want to spend the $400 and then, and then yep. go to spend the money to go see a psychiatrist yep. every three months. To go do Which it is going to be more expensive. So she, what happened there is she was out of her comfort zone. And, and your care became limited by her comfort zone. And that's a difficult little place to navigate because then it's like, okay, now I'm stuck in her comfort zone and the only way out of it for you is to go find a new GP. And that's easier said than done, but really not easily done when you're talking about creating a new relationship. I mean, finding a new GP is not as expensive as finding a new psychiatrist, but it is still... you don't have insurance. Well, it is expensive and it is a, and it's emotionally expensive, right? It's socially expensive. You know, you've got to drive to a new place. You've got to call a new place. Again, you're starting over. Is this going to be a fit? You don't know. You don't know for a couple of weeks. Like, you know. And then they weigh you and then they drug test you. So that's a nice little I have not jab experienced. to the ego. You walk in and they're like, still fat, huh? Let's uh, have you take a pee in this cup and see if you're a druggie. Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't. Yeah. They told me, and this is, I don't know how, I, like, I, I. that's one of the reasons I don't, like, want to go to this doctor again is... I've just been so, it's been like a combination of laziness and not wanting to spend the money. Um, but yeah, mm. they, they, she said that it was like, oh, we drug test you to make sure that you're on the medications to like make sure that like the ADHD medications, because they're a, ugh, I can never think of what the hell it's called. Um, like so that you're not selling them? I guess so. That oh you're my actually gosh. taking the medication. Okay. I mean, uh, all right. I'm, I have a lot of feelings about that. I will So keep them to myself. Um, wow. Maybe it is time we find you a new GP then. Maybe. It just, there's a point in time when I'm listening to the, your stories and I, and I feel a certain amount of frustration, even if it, the appointments are going well. But once there's this threshold of irritation and and just the right amount of things have stacked to where you're like, and they did this, and then they did this, and then they did that. I'm like, okay, now it's time. Like, we've just been doing this for so long. There's there's just a capacity to how much stress you can handle in any social, emotional environment before the negative impacts you directly. Like, we're, 
it's not super comfortable to be social in a lot of situations for a lot of people with or without a diagnosis. Um, but especially with one, if you start stacking on, you know, the things that are predictable that you know are make, not going to make you feel good, then we've got to start alleviating some of that stress or that is going to become a deterrent to you seeking care. And if you have too many deterrents to seeking care, you're going to not seek care because um, laziness, there's really no such thing as laziness. It's just avoidance. And avoidance we do when we're trying to protect ourselves. Like there's some reason why we're avoiding something. Either I've been avoiding my kitchen because I don't want to clean it. <laughs> and, you know, but that's fine. And we've talked before about needing to hire a maid. You know, there are just certain tasks that and there are certain... Money. Yeah, it does. Send your money to... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it comes down to resources. And then so how are you going to spend those resources? Are you going to spend them trying to seek care with someone who's automatically going to put you in fight or flight and keep you in fight or flight the entire time and you're supposed to go there to help you feel better? Like that's counterintuitive. That doesn't work. So um, these are the types of things that happen in everyday life that we probably... Uh, you don't You don't see articles about it. You know, you, people aren't out there really talking about it, but this is a really, um, what's the word? It's a very tangible aspect of life. And the challenge is, and the reason I bring this up, and I appreciate you being vulnerable and, and, and going here, is because you deal and you, what's the word? You, you carry such a burden of discomfort, just managing your everyday without adding interactions with physicians and, you and know, people and right. You're doing a lot of peopling just to get through your career. And then you've I'm got doing to, a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> and now you've got to go and, you know, create a relationship with physicians. And then if it doesn't go well now, you've, uh, you but you're being asked to fit into their comfort zones and you're like, but I, I have comfort zone issues. Why am I conforming to you? And so there's only so much pressure anybody can take. And, at the same time, you're like, you you know why I'm here. I'm here to get help for these things. And you're not only not getting help, you're getting shit for it. Yeah. That doesn't work. So, yeah. I don't know. The whole situation, I, I don't, the, the whole system that is set up right now because of the drug war. Yeah. Is, it's pretty stupid because any medication that can, you know, one of the medications that I, I think I mentioned before that I took was actually methamphetamine. Right. And that was, you know, street legal. <laughs> it wasn't like I was buying it on the streets. Uh, it was prescribed by a medical professional. And, you know, you can get that from the pharmacy. The thing is, first of all, it's super hard to find. Yeah. It's very expensive. Yeah. And it, but it was probably the most helpful ADHD medication that I found. Right. Um, but I was only on a small trial of it. And it, I was like, wow, this, this one works really well. And he's like, well, we can't keep you know, doing that. And it's like, how fucked up is our healthcare system that I can't that get the medication? That one It is though. No, he said that one was the DEA that misclassified it or classified it as a schedule. What did he call Schedule it? two narcotic. Thank you. There you but go. that's what the, my other ADHD med medication is considered a schedule two narcotic as well. Well, yeah, we need to take a look at And that's things. one of the reasons that the, the other reason that what they're really d drug testing me for and I found this out. So I had um I had like a a vape pen. Mhm. Mm and uh like vaped some, you know, a high CBD but it also had THC in it. Okay. And so I had no idea that this was even a thing. But when I went in for the drug test, I thought again like they told me like, "Oh, it's for this." And she goes, oh, you had THC in your system. I was like, what? And then I had to, like, I had to really think because it's not like I do it all the time. It's right. Like, you're not out um, purchasing direct THC. Like that wasn't right. your intention is to buy it. So, well, no, it's, it has nothing to do with that. But the point is that it's not even something that I'm, I don't, it's not like I'm sitting there, like I'm not a stoner or something. Right. Which to our stoners listening, you're great. Um, but yeah, it's, no, just, it's no criticism. Uh, no, I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah. making, I'm just saying there's no, I have no criticism and I, you know, right. uh, you know, and in other States that but, was, but it, something, but the explored. point, the point is that she was like, well, there's TH senior system. If this happens again, then we can't provide for you anymore. You have to find someone else. I almost, I remember when you told me that I remember my gut being like, maybe we should find someone else now. Not because 
I, I worried about you ever having that issue again. It's just that that amount of rigidity. That's what I'm talking about. The rigidity. It's like I'm a grown ass man. Right. I should be able to. I should be able to do. I mean, I don't know. I have. That's a whole other topic. Right. Is like you it know, just, people because I could I could go in there drunk and they wouldn't do anything. <laughs> right. You know well, what I mean. I have so all my opinions about alcohol being super legal, but yeah. No, I don't I agree. think it should be illegal. I'm just saying, like, within well, you know, this is my opinion. I'm just saying my the tolerance only, I'm just for saying, alcohol like, is is we are numb to the we, we're over tolerant of alcohol in a lot of ways. Yeah, my that's I'm not trying to make one thing more evil than the other. I'm not. I'm either. just saying I'm it's just... stupid to me that I'm a grown man and. I'm like, I need medication. They're like, well, you can't get it if you are, don't follow these arbitrary bullshit rules. Right, right. And you have diagnoses that suggest that, you know, anything that's going to help you relax would be beneficial. And she's changing your psychiatrist recommended medication. So I don't know why I didn't put all these pieces together earlier, but I'll help you find someone new. Because now at this point, I I'm did, just I found gonna, someone. I told you that. No, not a psychiatrist, a new GP. Oh, gotcha. I'll I'll do some looking. Well, that's uh, I think that these conversations actually are really important because we have to extend a fair amount of trust in people to provide care. Now, we've been down this road before and 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 you and I are very aware of the fact that not every doctor has the same information. It's like there's not one memo that that someone can send that says, "Oh, here's the newest thing" and they all get it. They don't. Plus, there's interpretive differences between them. There's educational differences between them. And so, you know, it's really a lot of trial and error. And that's a difficult process when you're already experiencing, you know, um, whether it's you're processing information differently or you have sensory processing challenges or you're, you've got dual diagnosis and you're kind of trying to work through the neurochemistry of that. But at the, at what it comes down to at the core is... When you're interacting with this physician, do they make you feel safe or do you feel on guard? And you can sort through the logistics one way or another, but at the end of the day, if you don't feel safe with that physician, then that needs to be... I just feel like a number when I walk in there. Then th then and that number is my weight. Yeah, I understand that. And so then if you feel that way, then that means they don't get... They don't deserve to be your primary care physician they're not primarily caring for you um and we need to find someone else and there's a better fit out there so it the but it comes down to do you feel supported do you feel safe do you feel like someone is taking the time to see you or do you feel judged and do you feel like you're pressurized into this box do you feel better do you feel worse it can be that simple you don't even have to identify why you don't feel good about it if you just don't feel good about it start the process over it is so much less work if you if you cut and run right then that's the smallest the relationship will ever be is that one exchange and then you haven't invested a lot into the relationship to continue to get burned by them so you know there's your there's your barometer and, and thinking through things can be really difficult with executive function and all these different aspects and so you just break it down do I feel good here or do I not feel good here if you walk away feeling not good, then keep searching until okay. you do. Because I I used to make things super complicated. I was paid by, you know, big place big companies to make things super complicated, and I've learned in my 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 development that the more complex we make it, the more we break it. And that comes down to our individual intuition as well and our ability to read a a, a scenario and you know, we make social emotional interactions really complicated, but in reality, it's just, you know, can you fit in and be compliant with my way of doing things or are you going to go off on your own and I and and then and then it doesn't it doesn't mesh. And so people think that we have to all fit in and do things a certain way. And there's a whole aspect that says I don't have to fit in and, and I don't need to be accepted by you and what doesn't feel good about it is the judgment you get from the people who don't but it didn't feel good for your physician to judge you either and like you paid her to judge you yeah that was an expensive judgment and you were paying her to take care of you so you know we don't always get those opportunities to 
to feel empowered if it's just, you know, when we come in, when we're being judged by someone in the grocery store, but when it is your, someone you're paying money to, a physician, that's a hired support system. Being judged by someone in the grocery store? Yeah, we, we, there's, our listeners talk about it from time to time too. It's like the, the social interactions when, when you feel like you don't fit in because you're in the grocery store or you're at work or you're in a social setting or you're just around people, whether you know them or not. And, you know, you know, you don't fit in and you're feeling judged by them. That's a situation you really can't do anything about. But when you also feel that way and you're going to someone who's supposed to be helping you, you do have the power to change that situation is just the comparison that I'm making. Okay. I'm, st- I'm you're losing me a little bit. Sorry. What, what's what? <laughs> well, we got to remember, I, I'm part of a lot of these moms groups, um, for kids with neurodiversity. And we, there's a lot of stories that these moms share and they're very open and vulnerable about how many times they're just trying to do some basic grocery shopping with their kids and their kids are either, you know, nonverbal and giving, you know, and staring a stranger down. And so then the stranger gives them dirty looks or they're, you know, talking on repeat and they're, they're just doing all their vocal repetitive repetitive behaviors and so it's just really and I I experienced this with Declan um it's really easy to go out in public and get judged because you know we don't look like they look like on tv with the like perfect family and how everyone's supposed to act and you know instead we're busy just being ourselves and that looks differently to the uneducated and so yeah it's really easy to just go to stand in line at UPS to do Amazon returns and have three people look at you like, why is your kid jumping around the place? I'm like, because... Well, this is a perfect opportunity for my my little thing I wrote. Oh, good. Therein lies the autism dilemma. Hmm. Hiding in plain sight. Okay. That's what we're doing. It is, yeah. And I think there's uh, one thing to note is that, you know, being autistic is nothing to be ashamed of absolutely not um it's in as much as being yourself mm-hmm. as long as you're not a serial killer or you know hurting other people um True nothing everyone. to be yeah it's it, we should all you know it's it's all about e- you know equality these days um allegedly but but in reality uh, you know we should be looking at um you know people that are diagnosed or whatever. Like, you know, again, you don't have to be diagnosed with Self-diagnosed autism to, to be, yeah. to be, yeah. Like I was, it's not like I, you know, I was in a group and, and I, I made, I, I'm sarcastic. And so I said something, I was like, well, I've been autistic since, uh, such and such. Like I made, I, I named the year and the person was like, you were born autistic. I was like, I was being a, sar- I was being, uh, I was being facetious. Right. Derp. You're like, lady, I know that. <laughs> I'm like just I, saying. I'm like, with well, someone that's been autistic for the last three years. Right. And, that's what and, makes and, the and joke they, funny. And, and, well, right. And then, I, and then I was like, I was like, I thought, I, I'm like, come on, you're supposed to be sharp. Well, but remember that, you know, an autism mind know, is extremely literal. Yeah, I know. It's Isn't that, it is kind of funny. Like, I'm very sarcastic. And yet when people are sarcastic, sometimes I'm like, are they being sarcastic? <laughs> <laughs> right. It doesn't, you know, so social cues just go over my head. Right. Um, a lot of the time. And I never realized that before. I was just, I would just kind of go with the flow and just be like, whatever, or just go with but it. See, you didn't used to read social cues. One of the things that I watched you do pre-diagnosis versus post, pre-diagnosis, you didn't, you weren't reading the social cues then either. And you didn't care about them. And one of the things that made you so... Um, I just said whatever. No, no, no. Listen, you have this ability and you, you've always did the whole, so the whole time I've known you. So I imagine this predates me, but you have the ability to walk into a room, listen to a conversation, ping, ping, ping between two people and then land the funniest joke. You say this all the time and I'm not that funny on the episodes. Okay. But again, because all you have to play off of is me. The situation I just described. You just nailed you just nailed it. <laughs> the situation I just described is that you're walking into a room listening to two other people talk to each other and you come in over on top of the two of them with this really funny, you know, but situationally um, appropriate. Yeah, appropriate. Give me seven examples right now. 
I, I don't remember exactly what you said, but Couldn't I just know funny. multiple conversations I've had with your mother when we lived in, in Colorado and you would come and she'd be telling us this dramatic story about something at work and I'd be asking questions, trying to figure it out. And then you'd come in with this like overview, this like summary overview that, that both pointed out the idiocracy in in some part of her story while also making it super funny and comparing it to something that made it even more funny and you would do it in about four sentences and we you'd have us just roaring and then of course 30 seconds later you're like well what did i just say why is everyone you know like oh was that really that funny and we 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 laughed for minutes and minutes and you do this all the time you were, you didn't care about what the social cues were at the time you just listened to the aspects of the story and you used that really brilliant database that you do have you may not sort your information that you collect really well making it a little bit more difficult to recall in the moment which is why processing can take a while it can take a minute for you to decide how to respond but you have a ginormous database of information to pull from and when you're there's no pressure on you to respond because the conversation was between me and your mother you could have stood there all day there was no no one was looking at you being like come on Blake answer and so you were able to stay out of fight or flight in the creative part of your brain and come in with this really super funny, you know, summary that was just like, yep, well, there you go. There it is. He just summed the whole thing up and now we're laughing and you changed the whole dynamic of the experience. You weren't looking at social cues. You didn't care about them then. You found a way around it. Okay. So now I do. Now I care about social cues. But do you care about them because you were told you weren't good at them? No, it's because I realized that I wasn't. Okay, but you were doing really well before you knew that. Yeah, well, I don't know. What do you want me to do? I'm just bringing up a comparison of years before you knew that. It's just, it's so one of the things that's always driven me nuts about myself is that I say the word I say um and uh and like when I talk. So does most of the population. It doesn't matter. I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about me. Okay. And so uh my mom's friend Barry this one time we were talking and he said, like, why do you like say like so much? Okay, but get some context. Like, and I, it's not like Barry's in your generation or anywhere near your generation. It doesn't matter. Okay. We're talking, we talked about rejection sensitivity. Is that not the epitome of rejection right there? So what you're saying is now that you've identified that you're not great at social cues, you're using the fact or you're, you're, you're more aware of the fact that the social cues are actually adding to your rejection sensitivity. Well, I'm, all I'm saying, I was just giving, I was just citing an example of a particular instance where someone pointed something out and showed a mirror of myself. Right. And then I became more paranoid and shut down. And then when I started talking I slowed down and I didn't want to say but like what if, quite so often. What if he had done the opposite? What if he had uh, praised you for that aspect of yourself? Pointing it out is the part that makes it hard. Because you feel like you've done something wrong? Not that I feel like I'm doing something wrong, but I just, I felt, I was like, well, yeah, that's not something someone with a high level of intelligence would do. Except that's not true. There's highly intelligent people who speak that way all the time. I'm sure, but that's not the way. I'm not talking about whether or not something is true. Okay. I'm talking about whether or not something is true for me. Oh, so it's your okay. I don't. I'm not trying to your, hate on other your, people that talk like that. I didn't I'm think talking you were. about for myself. What I'm trying. I didn't think you were. What I'm saying. My cousin's is, mom. This one time uh -huh. we were talking, and I don't know. One of us, I think, it was her son, probably. That he was just dropping f bombs, and and she goes, you know. Uh, it's a fact that, uh, you know, people with a lower intelligence use more profanity. <laughs> and I was like, that that's is the dumbest true. thing I've ever heard. I was like, I, I was like, as someone that's going to college, uh, I'm going to a UC person that's never been to school. Um, I'm sorry. I know doctorates. No, I was going to say, so every teacher. Uh-huh. Is a p is basically a PhD. Yeah, it has nothing to do. And with they would be in class teaching. Yeah, with and be using yeah. a, absolutely a litany of profanity. Actually, there's research out there that says that the more the more um, profanity that you use, especially in socially um, appropriate situations, that's not the right word. It there are, there's research out there that says that the use of profanity has no bearing on intellect, and oftentimes um, is used by people with higher intellect. So that is someone who's just trying to 
socially judge. My, my point was that you have created some idea of what the model person is or isn't or should or shouldn't be. And that's who you're comparing yourself to. And what I'm questioning is the validity of the, of the person you're comparing yourself to and where you're getting that standard from, because I don't, I'm not confident that that the standard that you picked is flexible enough. I, I almost feel like you've created a really rigid model of what a person should or shouldn't be. And then you're judging yourself on how well you fit inside that model. And therefore you're inadvertently putting yourself in shutdown mode because you're not accepting a broader range of personalities that actually are valid. So by keeping yourself, and maybe that's the perfectionism aspect of ADHD that you didn't know about because there's a, there is a perfectionist aspect to ADHD. Like, and I, I, I'll English. I have always thought that it comes in line with avoiding that rejection sensitive response and this is this this belief that like well if I behave perfectly then I'm going to get the responses that I want and I won't be rejected and so I kind of think it's like a uh, like a domino effect and why they're so often I'm not consciously walking around being like don't get rejected it's just that when I feel rejected I feel rejected agreed but you also said that you're feeling rejected because you've your comparison you're comparing your behavior you said he held a mirror up and you looked at yourself and you compared what you looked at to this idea you have of what that of what you should be and that's a judgment you judged yourself I did so you inadvertently put yourself in a rigid box so what we were just saying about the physicians might also inadvertently be true for yourself like you might not have given yourself a big enough box for your for your own daily life I actually never thought about it this way in all the way we've talked about it but I mean, very quickly running through 10 years of experiences with you, I'm like, and not just you, I have other family members that are neurodiverse in some of these areas too. And I'm like, oh, I can actually see this theme in many of my loved ones. I just realized something. I wasn't autistic before I met you. And all of a sudden, all these people that you know are autistic too. I think you're the problem. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. I might be. Yeah, yeah, so it's my, I I am the problem. I should stop illuminating neurodiversity. It's That's definitely right. gotten me in trouble with more than one person. Not everyone is, a, is as willing to look at life and admit when things are a struggle and then look for a reason why. Um, I actually have several people in my inner circle, inner and outer circle that don't have the strength to do that. They instead are avoiding um, what they think is a detriment to admit and trying to say that, oh, no, this trait and that trait is just my superior personality and it's like, or my superior work ethic. And I'm like, okay, I mean, there's an element of that, but it's neurology. I mean, the brain is going to fire and wire and fire and wire and create these neural neuropathways and it's just neuroscience at this point. Um, so there are people who can deny, you know, the opportunity to make these self discoveries. So, uh, and we've had a few new members to the Facebook group recently, um, who have, that are in the self-diagnosed category. And I, and I really am just so honored that they're with us and that they're telling their story because it takes an incredible amount of strength to look at yourself and say, yeah, I do this and that pattern fits me and then look for reasons why and at the same time, not judge yourself for it. That's the trick. I mean, how many other things do you judge yourself for? Do you judge yourself for your kitchen not being clean? Everything. So you need to widen your box. Trust me, I've been with plenty of wide boxes. <laughs> widen <laughs> not whiten widen your box it is okay that your kitchen is dirty i said wide oh sorry that was a euphemism it is okay that your kitchen is dirty okay it's okay it, i mean i don't like it 
Well, that's a different I'd issue. I'd like someone to come clean it for free. <laughs> well, there's that too, but but there's no reason to feel okay. Where's that service? Right. I don't like when my kitchen is dirty either. And if I have enough energy to do one thing in my house, I will prioritize my kitchen. Um, and I, I work on it a little bit all day long because that's the one thing. If my kitchen is dirty, I just feel like, oh, I'm stuck. But we don't always have the energy to do that. So the difference is on the nights that I don't have the energy to do it, I what I used to do is be like, oh, come on, you just got to push yourself. You just look how bad it, what did you do instead? Where did you spend your energy in some dumb place and you didn't put it where you belong? I used to beat myself up over and then I would find that I had to make an excuse for why I didn't get my kitchen clean. And all of this is happening inside of my head. And at the same time, I'm not feeling better about the situation. So what I've learned to do is like, yeah, my kitchen's dirty. I acknowledge that. I will work on that tomorrow. I put a boundary around it and go, and it's okay that it's dirty. It's okay today that it's dirty. I will get there. So how you treat yourself when you think you're not meeting the social standards of everyone else is actually more important than whether or not you're picking up the social cues. It's, it's about how you treat yourself. One of the reasons autism continues to live in plain sight is because we still and I say we, autism remains hidden because there's still so much mirroring and masking and you're not allowing yourself to be yourself. We talked about a lot today. We did. Now let's talk about News Minute. <laughs> I love the transition. Well, it, did you have something else to say? Because you've said more than I can think to comment on. I, re- I saw that I lost you there. So it's Sorry. it's perfectly fine to transition. The, the, when we get to this point in the show, I'm excited. It's okay. Go ahead. Because then I can, I can talk and I don't have to think because right? I already thought because I wrote it down. Hey, that's fair. Um, a happy bit of news in the news this week. According to an article I read on CNN, a passenger on a Cessna aircraft, that's a small airplane, landed the plane because the pilot was incapacitated and unable to land. This is like something out of a movie. The air traffic controller operator pulled up a view of the equipment from the aircraft and over the radio explained to this person, again, who had never flown a plane before, how to fly and land at a nearby airport. Holy cow. Want to guess what state this happened in? Was it Florida? Absolutely. (laughs) And the plane did land safely. Okay. Apparently, once the on the ground, the air traffic controller and this newbie pilot shared a hug. (laughs) Um, as of this writing no details were available regarding the status of the pilot Um, I don't exactly know what happened there but this was all over the news Hmm. Uh, I thought that was interesting very Um, interesting not a ton of stuff in in the news um, this week that that I wanted to that's the thing like I'm sifting through it trying to find stuff that I think is somewhat going to be interesting and not just like reading generic stuff because if there was nothing worth talking about I just wouldn't do it for that week right um did you have any comments on that i think that's super cool i almost didn't say florida because you said they were able to do it and everyone landed safe and so then i had to think of a super responsible state but well yeah but but no it's florida the pilot was incapacitated so who knows why right hopefully hopefully they're fine hopefully yeah now time for i can't do it you know my five minute okay speaking of barbie oh yeah did you know there's a Barbie movie coming out next year? Oh, I have heard this, yes. Starring Margot Robbie as the titular character uh-huh. and Ryan Gosling as Ken. <laughs> He's going to make a good Ken. They just released a photo of Robbie as Barbie to start garnering some publicity for the film. Again, it's not coming out till next year, but um, people were talking about how her convertible in the movie is uh, an electronic vehicle. So like, they're, I'm like, really? Like They're using Barbie as a, a means of promoting i mean i guess it's not a bad thing but promoting you know awareness environmental awareness um, interesting uh, but barbie was in the news uh also this week because of the toy itself over the past several years they mattel who makes barbie dolls have been trying to create more inclusive toys and right. they now have a barbie doll who wears hearing aids oh other toys in this more inclusive line include a doll with a prosthetic leg i'm not laughing but I am because it was just like the picture of it. I was like the the group 
of the of the Barbies. It's getting to the point where it's so inclusive now that there's like no like just like average looking Barbie people. Mm-hmm. Like I'm waiting for the uh, the um, Evil Dead shotgun arm guy. <laughs> when I saw that, that's what I made me. That's why it made me laugh. Right. Because um, obviously it's not funny, so it has a prosthetic leg. Um, but uh, anyway, there's a Barbie in a wheelchair, Kay. as well as a few dolls with a skin condition known as vitiligo. I haven't heard of that. I believe I said that. That's the skin condition that you see. I think Michael Jackson might have had that, but it's where like you see someone has like two tones of skin. Oh, I didn't know that was what it was. You know, it looks like it looks like a like a like a birthmark. Right, right, right. But like they'll have like two tones of skin. So they had uh, toys for those. And so my first thought was, where's the autistic doll? Right. I'm but I'm kidding. I thought about that too, actually, as you were talking. Because how would you make a doll look autistic? No. And I thought of a way to do it. Okay. You give them a you don't sound autistic t-shirt. Oh, I like that. And you give them and you and you get a little YDSA bumper sticker for the Barbie <laughs> convertible. So yeah, then, because there is no So so then that Barbie could be a listener, see? Yeah, I like that. I like Or that. one of us. I do. Well, not you, but me. I'm I not, could be Ken. Right. You could be. That's right. I just need some abs. But yeah. they even said that the uh that they're, they're trying they literally are like trying to make the dolls less attractive <laughs> because it's not it's unrealistic yeah uh, yeah it has been unrealistic but it's, for a long time but it's kind time. of funny that they're like let's ugly these dolls up a bit i'm not talking about the people that you know like the ones that have um other you know conditions or whatever but they're like literally like you know ken's abs like he he, he can't really have abs and i'm like they they need to make them like even go further than that like you know how in the uh in like like old navy and in uh, all these different companies now like they're starting to use like um women that are a little bit m- yeah. more normal looking curvy and uh so i was like you need to like where's where's ken that's got like the dad the bod dad bod <laughs> <laughs> that gut because i'd buy one of those for declan he'd be like look dad it's you <laughs> right i think that'd be funny that would be well you know what it it takes a while to redefine a society so at least they're putting some effort into it i mean i don't know that but ever going to be able to really make us all feel included let's just be honest i I think that society evolves way faster than mattel can ever try and keep up but i really well you can't make a doll for everyone no i and just like you can't make the an episode for everyone but but i respect that that. they're trying look at you tying it back to the look at me uh to the first part of the episode yeah um that's it though for pop minute and news minute and i'm and i think i'm done too <laughs> well we're doing really well i mean it's almost i mean close to midnight because we've i know it's late had to shift our <clears throat> recording time right because of the little dude who no longer naps no longer naps but takes big craps oh yeah but i'm pretty sure he's in the middle of a um growth spurt again it is gross no, growth oh, spurt growth. Yeah. because of the way he's eating. I thought you said gross spurt. I was like, yeah, I cleaned one of those up earlier. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, really? Me too. Um, no, growing. He's growing. Yeah. So every now well, and then we get a nap. We in, want him to keep growing. He's only three. If he stops now, then. Well, I know he looks as tall as a five-year-old, but that's not my point. Is uh, We're only going to get naps when he's either sick or he's in the middle of a growth spurt, but it's never going to be in a predictable time like it used to be. So. Well, like the other day. He just got it. He just got a blanket and was like, "I'm gonna take a nap," and he passed out on the couch, <laughs> like a big man. That's right. Yeah. So, all right. Um, one more quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Join the Facebook group. Join the group. Join the conversation. And again, thank you so much to everyone that's been listening so far. Share the show and find some more autistic people to spend your time with. And uh, and don't worry about the social cues. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. Don't listen to me. I mean, listen to me because you want to listen to the show. So listen to the show. But, yeah, but don't but, worry about the social cues. Honestly, me. it doesn't. Honestly, here's the t- here's the one thing I'll say to wrap this up. I was wrapping it up. Even neurotypicals miss social cues. Yeah. The difference is they're better about lying about it. So don't get wrapped up in the fact that you're missing them so much because quite honestly... Everyone is missing social cues. That's the truth. That's the trick. That's what they don't want you to know. 
I have a lot of neurotypical friends. I'm telling you, they miss social cues all the damn time. Don't get so wrapped up in it. It's really more common than you think. We're all, we've, none of us, no, as a planet, we're not really understanding and picking up on social emotional cues with each other. We're, we're disconnected. We're, you know, we're working on it. But as we work to come back together, don't spend so much time thinking about how much you're not doing because at that point you're just going to make it worse. Think about what you are doing and that's how you can contribute. Just think about what you are doing and you are doing well because in reality no one does it well. So don't worry about it. You just had to get the last word in. I just, you you sparked a thought from my heart I had to share. that I, I experienced it today at, at work and I have some really great people that I work with but I couldn't tell you how many, everyone in that room was neurotypical and there were so, <laughs> quote unquote, and um, there were so many social cues missed. So when I think about what you were saying earlier, it's like, honestly, Blake, everyone's, it's okay. It's okay. Cool. All right. I think that does it for us this week. Um, I'm Blake. And I'm Michelle. And we'll be back. 